and the mental health and well-being of anybody who would want this job at the moment, given uh, all of the variabilities there. Who would want to lead the Conservative Party now? It's a party that's dealing with allegations that leadership candidate Patrick Brown broke the Canada Elections Act. Allegations that have seen Brown disqualified from the race. Allegations that Brown contends are politically motivated. It certainly is disheartening that the 150,000 plus Canadians that we signed up um, to participate in um, this leadership, uh, have their voice Shit. has been lost. Brown has retained Toronto law firm Heenan Hutchison to appeal, but rules around the leadership race say there is no appeal process. In a statement, Brown's attorneys say the disqualification process was politically motivated and attempts to <clears throat> disenfranchise new Canadians, an important part of Brown's support. But conservative leadership say none of that is true. The sources of these complaints uh, do not come from any other uh, leadership campaign other than Mr. Brown's. Rob Batherson is president of the Conservative Party and says he's known Patrick Brown for over 20 years. He says the party gave him every chance to address the allegations head on before the disqualification happened, an opportunity he says Brown passed on. Well, he was invited and he didn't show up. And again, that's that's his prerogative. Batherson says he'd be more transparent if he could. But the Canada Elections Act is a federal law, and the matter is now before Elections Canada, not the party. It's very important for the Conservative Party themselves right now to um, provide greater transparency and clarity over the ouster of Mr. Brown. Not that I believe the ouster was wrong. I trust the people in the process. Tim Powers is a conservative strategist. For the good of the party, he says the truth, whatever it is, will need to come out. Whether it be Pierre Pauly of Jean Chouet, Leslie Lewis, or the other two candidates, um, the, whoever leads wants to inherit. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is blackballed but only if you can hear me <laughs> i think you can hear me now i have had a very long day um today has been one of those days where if you told me that i had to go home and talk about politics i would have gotten really upset and so i did um however because i want to do a podcast for you guys and because um I don't really feel like hanging out with my wife. I think um, tonight is actually going to be a pretty informative show. I'm going to try to make it a little bit quick. <clears throat> I was going to have a couple guests on as well. They're not getting back to me quite yet. Um, but Patrick Brown. About three months ago when I found out that Patrick Brown was going to be running for the federal leadership of the conservative party, the very first thing that came to mind was, what the fuck are you doing? Why Why are you doing this? Um, there was not a doubt in my mind that something would happen. And, it, and I don't have a crystal ball. I just have data. And the data says that um, Patrick Brown is not very well liked within conservative circles. Now, I'm just going to handle this by myself. Because one thing I do know about uh, 
about politics in Canada is the Patrick Brown story. I was heavily involved um, in a lot of the reporting that went on when that happened. And it basically goes like this. And this is a, a very concise nutshell version of what happened to Patrick Brown uh, during the, the provincial thing. So he was um, basically the, the opposition leader. Uh, Wynn's approval rating had plummeted to like negative 6,000%. And it was pretty clear. It, it was crystal clear that he was going to be the premier. And then um, two women made claims of sexual misconduct against him. And I'm going to, again, do this in a nutshell version. Um, they lied. They were also coached. <clears throat> there is also evidence that one of them was paid and then whisked out of the country. Patrick Brown sued uh, CTV and he won his lawsuit, but his political career was put offline. Uh, he, he, 10 months later, he became mayor of Brampton. That's great. But for all intents and purposes, uh, he was robbed of becoming the next premier of Ontario. <clears throat> there was a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, the behind the curtain reasons are interesting. Great Canadian Gaming was a uh, uh, a company that had investors connected to Caroline Mulroney. During um, in the run up to the election, uh, maybe two three months beforehand, Sanjay Sen um, emailed Patrick Brown's office. Uh, Alakan Velshi, his chief of staff, took the email, and the email was basically saying, "Can you stop criticizing Great Canadian Gaming?" Um, which is called influence peddling. And so Patrick wouldn't. On the other side of that coin, Patrick Brown also had casino interests. So really it was about gateway casinos and great Canadian gaming and the politicians that sort of represented them. But either way, uh, Patrick Brown was ousted from his position and he was ousted in one of the worst ways ever. Um, weaponizing Me Too accusations is, first of all, it was really easy to do back then. I don't know if you guys remember what it was like to 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 be around during uh, the Harvey Weinstein Me Too sagas, but it was it was two things. It was a movement that had to happen. It was a movement that put bad men in check. It was a movement that gave a lot of women courage to come forward and tell their stories. And all that in pile A is good. Pile B was when politics got involved with me too and i'm thinking of things like al franken i'm thinking of things like steve pakin and i'm thinking of things like patrick brown this is the weaponization of an otherwise worthwhile movement and it worked he he was ousted and uh doug ford became premier i don't think that was part of the plan i really don't i think that they wanted christine elliott in or caroline mulrooney but nonetheless doug ford became premier and here we are today. So then fast forward to a few months ago, Patrick Brown was uh, saying that he wanted to be become leader of the federal conservative party. And again, I was like, I don't know what the fuck he's doing. He's going to get ousted. And it's not because, um, like I said, I don't have a crystal ball. It's, it's, it's not a hard prediction guys. It, it, it really wasn't. If you, if you know anything about politics in this country, especially the conservatives, they were never in a million years going to allow him to become the leader of their party. It just was not going to happen. Why? Um, there are a whole bunch of reasons why. One of the reasons, and I know this is going to sound almost like a very lefty thing to say, but one of the reasons why they weren't going to let him is because when he was driving memberships to the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario, 
a lot of those members were people of color. A lot of them were East Indian or Indian or Pakistani, Chinese. There was just a whole, you know, diverse pool of new members that Patrick Brown was able to find for the party. And now on paper, a lot of people are probably thinking, this is great. You know, the tent is bigger. This is awesome. But if you spoke with people who were staffers of Patrick Brown, there were people that um, that I spoke with personally that would tell me about meetings where the public would be there. And then when the public would leave and there'd be like four or five kind of people left and a, and a few staffers, the, the woman that I'm speaking of, I'm not going to name her name because I didn't have a chance to talk to her yet today, but um, she's a black woman and she was a staffer for Patrick Brown. And she would hear firsthand things like, yeah, I, I don't know if our base is really ready for all this diversity <laughs> i swear to god and so she would talk to me about it at night and just be like you know what the fuck am i gonna do and i'm like fuck him ignore him who cares patrick's doing a good job getting members you know let's just focus on that and they ousted him anyways when we fast forward now though um the interesting thing about the the way that they have gone about turfing him from the leadership race is that originally there were whispers about, and, and by the way, I don't know if you guys know this or not, I talk to a lot of people in politics, okay? Like I just, I talk to people on the executive, I talk to sitting MPs, I talk to lawyers and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not just like blowing hot air. But the original um, idea, and there was a story um, maybe a month ago talking about how can Patrick Brown possibly uh, find so many new members? And his total at the time was like 30,000 or something. But something then happened a few weeks later, a couple weeks later, where Pierre Poilievre's total ended up dwarfing Patrick Brown's. And so the original idea of auditing Patrick Brown's memberships to see if any of the now 150,000 members were fraudulent or paid for with the same credit card and all that kind of stuff, they decided not to go that route, whoever they are, because Pierre Poilievre's total was 300,000. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So if you're going to audit Patrick Brown's list, you're probably going to have to audit everyone else's list, especially Pierre Poilievre's. And they didn't want that. Why? I don't know. But 300,000 members, you're probably going to have more than a few that are going to seem irregular. And by the way, they tried all of these tricks against Patrick Brown um, the last time as well in, in the provincial race. Um, one, of the, one of the easiest ways to to sort of uh, dwindle down a person's membership count, especially if they have a diverse uh, pool of new members. If you guys know any people of color, especially Chinese people and, um, you know, people uh, people from Asia, they'll anglo anglicize their name. So if, if your name is Xiong Lao or something, you might go by Sean. Right. So if your name on your identification doesn't match the name that you write when you go and you uh, sign a registration form, they will put those together. They'll know what they're looking at. They know that Sean Lau's name is Sean, but they will just ditch that membership anyways. And they do that strategically. It's not because they don't want a lot of members in the parties, but it's just that they didn't want that candidate getting all of these members. So they're basically it's finding loopholes. OK, Um I was going to say fair enough, but it's really not fair at all, especially to Shang Lao. Probably worked really hard to get into politics in this country. So 
I woke up this morning and or yesterday and and found out that he that that Patrick Brown was being ousted. And I was a little bit concerned about um the source of this story. Now the source of the story is is a very interesting person. She used to be um, her name is Deb Jodwin, I think you pronounce her name, and she has a um, long history with Patrick Brown. She was a uh, I think she was like a field coordinator or a field manager or something like that. But during the first Patrick Brown saga, she was you know there's a lot of people in politics. I should I should preface this preface what I'm about to say with this. There's a lot of people in politics who are really just kind of excited to be there. Um, it happens all the time. Politicians often use these people, uh, gets them all excited and, you know, and, and they feel like they're part of something, but really they're just eager and they're enthusiastic and they're not all that strategic, but they can fill certain roles, but they almost like rely on the people who are basically fans of them. And Deb, for all intents and purposes, was basically a fan of Patrick Brown. So when she was volunteering for him last time and all of this stuff happened with like Lisa McLeod and Randy Hillier and um, Vic Fideli, um, I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Vic Fideli, while he was doing a press conference, at, I think it was at Queen's Park, and he was saying things like, you know, um, when women come forward like this, it is our job to believe them and to investigate. And while that may be true, while he was saying that, there was somebody who was who had filed a complaint of sexual harassment against him like four days before that. And it was just like you like and when you were aware of all these things behind the scenes, there was all of this like frustration. Like I remember looking at him and just being like, oh, fuck you. And so I tweeted out the actual complaint letter <laughs> that the woman made against Vic Fidelli. Um, and then I followed that up with with court documents and, and stuff like that. And I got, of course, just like um, it was a heavy few days because there was no media that broke the story. So I just decided to fucking tweet out the action because someone sent it to me. Um, and anyways, the hypocrisy, you know, that's what politics is, right? It's the art of managing hypocrisy because, um, you know, you'll be you'll have a million reasons why they shouldn't do that when they're in power, but then you'll have a million excuses to do the same thing if you get into power. And that's how politics for some reason operates. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Now, I woke up this morning and I found something in my inbox that I thought was 
really interesting. And it was a, um, a series of messages between a former Harper staffer and Deb, Joe Doen, whatever her name is. And it was this. Did you start your contract? And Deb says, July 15th to September 6th in the ballot count center. Scrutineer, sort of, kind of, making sure they are opening them correctly and throwing out the ballot or opening the ballot. It's a long process. This was the day after the news broke about Patrick Brown. Now, um, we could draw conclusions to that if we want. Uh, you know, it, it does seem a little bit fishy. And then I contacted her and I was like, when did you secure your scrutineer contract? Now, if it's all in the up and up, you'd think that she would just be like, oh, oh, that was like a week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago, whatever. But she's like, no comment. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, was there a quid pro quo? I have no idea. Uh, but I would like to think that it, there is um, a working brain in my head. And that working brain tells me that this person is probably not someone to be trusted. Okay, so what do we do now? Well, first thing we do is take that off the screen. Listen, the reason that the um, that Deb Jodwin said that um, the, the, the whistle that she blew was that she was getting paid by an as of yet unnamed corporation to work on the campaign, which is a violation of federal uh, campaign finance laws. Um, you can't do that. The campaign, the campaign itself has to be the one to pay you. Now, I don't know if Patrick Brown did this or not because there's literally no information. They don't even name the corporation. As far as I know, if I'm wrong about that, someone can let me know. Um, but nonetheless, now, I put out a tweet uh, later on. I'll see if I can find it for you guys, but I'll, I can just talk about it until then. That was about Pierre Polyev's. Is it this one? Yes. So the Pierre Polyev campaign and the Conservative Party of Canada claimed that Deb Jodwin was being paid by a third party to work on Patrick Brown's campaign. Meanwhile, Paul Sutherland is a lobbyist being paid by Hill and Knowlton Canada while working on Polyev's campaign. I should have worded that differently. He's being paid to be on the campaign by a, by a lobbyist firm. Media doesn't touch it. Nobody asked that question. Um, you know who's telling me this stuff? By the way, you know who's like my sources for all of this material is are are they're all conservatives. They're all executives. They're party members, they're strategists, they're operatives, they're lawyers. These are the people that I'm talking to. So it's funny and weird and strange and I don't really know how to explain it beyond the beyond the fact that it's odd that the media seems to only be willing to tie Pierre Polyev to the convoy but not to his own standards. And those standards meaning you shouldn't have someone on your campaign that's getting paid by a third party. And that's exactly what's happening uh, on Pierre Polyev's campaign with Paul Sutherland. Again, he's a lobbyist being paid by Hill and Knowlton Canada while working <clears throat> as a staffer on, on Polyev's campaign. What we are seeing here is, is, is basically another coup. As far as I'm concerned, it is another way for the conservatives to uh, control who they put up as leader. There is um, 
there's good money on on the fact that Pierre Poilievre will probably win. Uh, Patrick Brown says that he has a lawyer that he's consulted with. But there's no appeal. There's no appeal process for the conservative party. Like this is this is for sure a done deal. The only way that this is not a done deal is if Patrick Brown's team and his lawyers can put together some sort of evidentiary dossier where they can slide that across the table to Pierre Polyev's campaign and be like, if I'm out, you're out because you know, this is, um, this is hypocrisy. And there's a few stories that came out that were interesting. Um, this one is, is conservative party tried to bring Brown into compliance with election laws and failed. I'm told by a very high up conservative that that is a lie. Tory leadership committee. What this is really interesting. So the Tory leadership committee was advised not to approve Patrick Brown's nomination reasons behind the advice to refuse Brown's application to run is not known, but were overruled. They were trying to get Patrick Brown to not run. They were trying to refuse his application. And when, again, when I say they, I'm assuming it's Pierre's camp, but I don't really know. But somebody within the party, powerful people within the party, were trying to block Brown's application to run in the first place. So they didn't even want him to run in the first place. They He scares them, right? He's a progressive conservative inside a party that went out of its way to strip themselves of the label progressive. Okay? They are a party that... Um, at one time was the, all about the, the conservative two-step where they would throw roses to the batshit wing of their party during the leadership race as Pierre Poilievre was done. And then when the general election gets here, they would just completely ignore them. Because we have so much time between now and the next election, which probably won't be for at least a couple of years. Um, I could be totally wrong about that, but it feels like that. Because that there is so much time, Pierre Poilievre could continue that conservative two-step but i don't know if he's going to do that or not really hard to predict because society is so fluid and it has been since 2020 as to what um what the ether is going to look like in in two years but if the election was like two months away <clears throat> excuse me if the election was two months away does anyone really think that they would um drop the batshit wing of their party and go for the moderates again because i don't i think that Polyev looks at the United States, saw the Trump victory, saw the convoy protesters, um, you know, knows that 15 percent of the of the country who are not vaccinated. A lot of them are probably going to vote for him if they decide to vote. I think he's all in with the batshit. I think he's knee deep in batshit and he's loving every fucking minute of it. And I think that that's what he's going to do. I think I think he's all in. So. The question then for the party becomes, can you win an election if you're all in? I I think they can. I didn't think they could a couple months ago, but now I kind of think they can. And there's a bunch of reasons why. One reason is because um, voter turnout is so bad that I don't expect it to improve all that much in the federal election. It was 33% in the province of Ontario. And, you know... Um, if if the conservatives can hold, they're, they're going to hold on to obviously Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, um, and then of course the GTA where I grew up, and for some reason has become you know mega country Ontario. I know the rural areas definitely are, but like I think in the Golden Horseshoe area, 
of Ontario, there is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 million people or something like I could get that totally wrong. Maybe 8 million or something. There's millions and millions of people in, in, in the golden horseshoe area of Ontario. And a lot of them vote conservative and a lot of them hate Justin Trudeau as a person who also hates Justin Trudeau. I, I get that, but, um, I, I never thought I would see that area of the country just go so far to the right. Um, look, um, I mean, I spoke with Patrick Brown today, very briefly. Uh, I'm supposed to have him on hopefully soon next week. He's spending time with his family right now. Um, I, I think that the, the next obvious step for his legal team is going to be to point out some of the uh, similarities between his campaign and Pierre Polyev's campaign if uh, both of them were guilty of, of employing somebody with somebody else's money. But really, what does this really say about our democracy? And I think that that's kind of what I want to focus on um, on on the second part of this show, which I'm going to then, I think, do on Sunday. Um, this is me, guys, freestyle. I, I don't have any notes. I just freestyled this whole thing. Uh, I, I know enough about the Patrick Brown stuff to, to do that. Um, I also was supposed to have a couple of guests, and they're not here. So, um, you know, this is just sort of me rambling. But uh, hopefully you guys get an idea of, of what is happening right now. And what is happening is this. A conservative who is of the moderate variety, Patrick Brown, is disturbing a strategy employed by the conservative caucus, mostly by Pierre Polyev and people like Candace Bergen and people like that, who have decided that moderation within the conservative party is probably not a good idea. A really weird development within the conservative caucus is that Michelle Rempel is like an outcast now. Um, conservatives that are hardcore right-wing conservatives say that she went woke. I'll buy that when I see it. Um, I'm not a big fan of Michelle Rempel. I think, uh, you know, but whatever. I, I, I don't even know what to say. I think that whatever she's doing, it's probably opportunistic. She probably wants to see if she can be leader during the next one, during the next cycle. But in any event, um, our democracy is suffering right now, and it's usually the same reason. Political parties. The party system that we live in, if you think any of these people put country before party, you're absolutely out of your mind. And you've never been to a open bar reception at a party convention. And I've been to a few and they don't give a fuck about country. They give a fuck about party. They give a fuck about power. They give a fuck about their jobs. Shout out to Ryan Linz, who uh, who makes me think every day about how um, the parties treat parliament like a piggy bank, because that is so true. And, uh, you know, I'm not a conservative. I'm not a li- I'm not fucking any of these things. Liberal, conservative, whatever an NDP or is. These labels, these parties are killing us. Uh, they're killing this country. It is like watching Bell and Rogers, you know fight but not to the mutual death that we all want but just fight and then trade places um they don't care about us uh the conservative party and the liberal party care about voters the same way that bell the bell canada cares about customers and rogers rogers today was basically like the liberal party in the the last provincial election (laughs) it just got blacked out um 
so listen, that's it for me, guys. I, I just wanted to come on quick and and talk about this Patrick Brown stuff because I'm going to have a couple of guests come on and sort of help me unpack it a little bit better on Sunday. I'm sorry about the false start, but um, really at the day end of the, at the end of the day, what you're watching is a political is political theater uh, via the infighting of the Conservative Party of Canada, who are afraid to be seen as moderate look what they did to jean look what they do to jean charret who i also don't like i don't like any of these people but what they did to jean charret was they painted him as like a liberal a socialist you know he's weak he's this and that like all of you know all of the things that you would normally see on twitter that's what they're saying about jean charret why because during the leadership race the people that donate the money to the party are the people who are fucking crazy and that's just a fact so uh, when when Patrick Brown decided to put his hat in the ring, um, it was the same thing. He he never stood a chance, in my opinion. So um, stay tuned for that. Uh, that's going to be coming up either Sunday or Monday. I might do it Monday because uh, I think I just got a. I'm I'm about to get uh, a confirmation from Adam Scorgi to finally screen his documentary, um, his Wee documentary, and uh, so hopefully we're going to do that this weekend. Everyone take care and stay safe. And I think that um, if you really want to be kind of a rabble rouser, I don't know, you know, I think everyone should be writing uh, the the party, the conservative party, and and talking specifically about this, about lobbyist Paul Sutherland being paid by Hill and Knowlton while working as a staffer on Pierre Polyev's campaign. This is the most blatant example of hypocrisy I've ever seen. That's the name of the staffer. That's the name of the company that's paying that staffer on Polyev's campaign. And all we had uh, from the Patrick Brown stuff was, um, first it was an anonymous accuser, which was hilarious because it just reminded everybody of another Me Too accusation. And then uh, it became Deb, who was once an ally and is now just a person who I think has watched House of Cards too many times. And she thinks she's part of it. She isn't. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Oh, I'm putting out an article this weekend too. It's all, it's like an open letter to Patrick Brown. I think one thing that he could do that could make, oh, here's a file photo of Pierre Polyev that I never showed before. There you go, guys. Good. And this is Pierre Polyev when he wants to look tough. There he is. And this is his dad showing off his new car. <laughs> I can't get enough of that. Um, I'm going to put out an article. It's like an open letter to Patrick Brown and my advice to Patrick Brown completely unsolicited. He doesn't have to take it is to do whatever he can to tie Pierre Polyev to the Plymouth Brethren Christian church. It's all there. He's a business partner with one of the elders. He owns land and like a real estate development thing. And it is very easy. Can we please stop, start talking about this cult? mainstream media please you know pretend it's the catholic church and there's indigenous children involved remember that worthwhile story totally worthwhile you covered it well good job i don't know why we're not covering this cult with the same sort of uh oomph because they have a lot of influence over conservative politicians they um you know they were seated in the front row when harper won in 2011 harper swore on this cult's bible when he was first sworn into office in 2006. 
So if I'm Patrick Brown, I would want to do everything I could to keep the conversation about Pierre Polyev, Stephen Harper, and this cult of pedophiles and crazy people that seem to be permeating all over this country and inside the um, the inner sanctum of, of politicians that have a conservative bent. And that's it for me. Thank you for watching Blackballed. I will see you this weekend and on Monday. And have a good weekend, everybody. Bye. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.